0: And so tonight, though, I wanted to focus on something that was relevant and uh, something that we've talked about before, uh, but I, it's always good to be reminded, and that is that we're called to commitment. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Uh, this Christian journey is not a sprint. It's not over in 9.8 seconds. Uh, but it is a marathon. And marathons usually take hours for the, for the top caliber races. For the regular people, it can take multiple hours uh, so, this Christian journey, as I said, takes patience. It takes endurance. It takes practice. You don't go out having never run and run a marathon. You probably won't get very far. People who are uh, in training, they build themselves up to, to running marathons. In the writer of Hebrews here says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about, we're surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses. If you read uh, what he's talking about, I think Chris clo- uh, quoted this in his message. He's really talking about Hebrews 11. All the heroes of faith, all those people who came through great struggle, great persecution, and endured hardship. He said, seeing we have all those witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, sometimes in a race you see these people, they they go straight out and they jump to the lead. But you know, after a while they start to fade and they're not anywhere to be found at the end because the Bible tells us what? It's he that endureth to the end. If you're not having some struggles, you're running the wrong way because this world is not supposed to be our friend and it's easy to coast, right? Just let the world drag you along, do what they uh, want to mold you and shape you. But the Bible clearly tells us that we're not supposed to be of the world. And if we're not of the world, we're going to get persecution. We're going to get days when everything goes wrong. When you get four or five phone calls, all wanting attention, all having needs. But Paul is saying here, if you can just lay aside every weight, because these things, there may be things that are not sins, But they're just cares of life. They're things you got to do. I'm I'm sure all of you have a list, right? All of you got a list of things that you got to do. I've got my 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 work things I got to do. I got my church things I got to do. And when sometimes I just like I'm a deer in headlights, you know, I'm just staring at them and putting them off and just want them to go away. (laughs) But God has called us to commitment, so we're going to look at that word and how it relates to our Christian walk tonight. You know, sometimes uh, when people call, we look at the number and we don't want to answer. But most of the time, God is calling us to a commitment. So what is commitment? What is commitment? How can we become more committed? Not necessarily in just being busy, because it's easy to be busy, right? Very easy to be busy. But how can we be truly committed in a, in a good way, that what we're doing is actually furthering the kingdom of God. And what is the reasons why we lack commitment? And then lastly, there is a cost to commitment, right? There is a cost to being committed. It's going to cost you something. It's going to, for sure, cost you time. And sometimes it's going to cost you your peace of mind. It's going to cost, cost you your safety. If you're a missionary in certain places, your your life may be in danger. So there's all these things that go along with being committed. But there's also a reward. There's also a benefit to being committed and sold out for Christ. Amen? There is also great reward if you are committed in the service of the Master. Amen? I put on there some of the the words that um, come with the meaning of commitment. It says here, the state or quality of being, dedicated to a cause. I want to be dedicated to the cause of Christ, amen. I don't want to be wishy-washy, I don't want to be lukewarm, because he says that kind of church is going to get spewed out. We have to be dedicated, as much as our flesh sometimes just doesn't want to do it, that's what we're called to. And it says another meaning is an engagement or obligation that restricts freedom of action. Uh, sometimes we can't go where we want to go. Right? We're compelled. Paul says, "I am compelled to preach the gospel." He couldn't go back to tent making. He said he was compelled to preach the gospel. We are compelled sometimes to to do for God things we don't want to do. We may see someone uh, who who is fallen down on the road. I remember one night we left here and we were taking someone home in uh, in, in Sister Brownie's vehicle or the. I think it was a van. I don't know why we had a van, but that's what comes to mind. And we saw this guy was in the winter and he was collapsed by the, you know, and it was dark and we didn't know what condition he was in. And in my flesh, I didn't really want to go by him. I was just going to be like the one who passed on the other side. You know, but, um, but we couldn't. So we, we pulled into the gas station. I went over there and he had, he had, you know, vomited on himself. He was a mess. You know, in your flesh, you don't want to do that. But if you're committed, you can't be just passing on the other side. So we got him up in the gas station person didn't want him in the gas station. We said, look, it's too cold out here. can he just stay till the ambulance comes? So finally, he let him stay. We have to be committed. If you If you don't believe in something, you're going to be caught in the devil's trap. Because he'll make you believe in something. Amen. So what's the first step? in being committed well let's look at how Jesus went about getting commitment from his disciples in John chapter 1 verse 43 it says the day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him follow me wow that's a strange message think about witnessing that way you go into some restaurant you see someone and you say follow me what would make them follow you? Uh, the other day we were, we went down to Indianapolis and I was talking, we were talking with our daughter-in-law about how how we met. How we met and it was, I was, there was a youth rally that was supposed to be preached at the at up my church and the person couldn't come so they asked me to speak. And as a little gift they gave me this card to Cracker Barrel. Now, normally the Cracker Barrel is not where I live, so I don't go there. But this Sunday, because of that chain of events, we went to Cracker Barrel. And there was Angie, comes to be our our server. And from there she met Paul, and Paul invited her to a Bible study. Isn't it strange? So you never know. You just have to be ready for God to open a door. So he goes and he says, follow me. And then in Matthew 4.19, And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And this is what's amazing. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. You know, we all want apostolic power. We want when we pray for people, as Bishop Putnam said, ears are open, the blind see, and all of this. But how much are we willing to sacrifice? How much do we believe to get that kind of result? They gave up everything, and the Bible said straightway they left their nets and followed him. When we can get to that place where we're following him totally with our hearts, I believe that's when we will see some of the things that they were able to do. They were, in other words, they were committed. They were committed. They weren't halfway in, they were totally sold out. Look at this, Matthew nine nine. Here's Jesus' message, it's follow me. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. Imagine going up to someone and just giving them a card and saying, follow me. Three times now we see it in scripture that that's how Jesus, that's how Jesus ministered. Saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom and he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. So the first step in commitment is to just follow, to just follow. Now, that alone won't get you very far, but there's, because there's got to be more. The first step in commitment is he called them and they obeyed. You have to have some element of trust. Obviously, some of them had heard what John the Baptist had said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. But commitment is gotta be based on more than that. Let's, let's look a little bit deeper. What makes someone committed to any kind of belief or ideology? I mean, for instance, we have people who will blow themselves up because of what? What is it that makes them do that? Alright, let's look, let's look at an example. John chapter 2 verse 1. And the third day, there was a marriage in the Cana of Galilee. So that means it was a Tuesday. The Jews never had names for their days. They just called them first day, second day, thir- uh, third day and so on. So Sunday was the first day of the week. Monday was the second day of the week. So Jesus was going to a wedding on a Tuesday. Interesting. There was a marriage in Cain of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Now, you notice I've got and his disciples in red up there. And I know I've taught this before, but can anyone remember or can you guess why I highlighted it and said, and his disciples were called to the marriage? Hmm? They were following him. They were following him, yes. And they were already his disciples. But what was going to happen at this event? What was going to happen that was so special? It was going to be his first miracle. Which means they were following him before they had ever seen a miracle. Some people need to see something... Before they follow. But these people had faith. It's not faith if you can see it. It's faith when you don't see it. Because faith is what? What's the definition? The evidence. So it says, it calls them their, his disciples. And yet he had not done a single miracle. They believed in the word of John. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away... the. Si-. They believed solely at this point... Based upon his words. Philip said, never have I heard a man speak like that. They hadn't seen anything. He hadn't opened deaf ears. He hadn't done a single miracle. That means you can believe without yet seeing. That is commitment. Commitment has got to be based on belief. The people that blow themselves up, you know the reason why? It's because they believe. That's the only reason you would do that. You believe in a cause. How much do you believe in Jesus? Amen? His disciples to the man. That's the point I'm making, is they were already followers trying to learn about this man, yet they had seen no miracle. Isn't that awesome? And they, when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. She believed too. She, according to the scripture, had never seen him do a miracle either. What happened at this event that made her think he was going to do a miracle. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Do you understand that your faith can move God? She had faith that he could do something, though she'd never seen him do something. She, But she had heard his word and she had seen him grow up. And she had remembered what the angels said about him. And she knew the supernatural uh, event of his birth. She knew all those things. When you know the origin of Jesus and his love and what he did, you can believe even if you have not yet seen something. Isn't that what Jesus said to Thomas? Blessed, rather, blessed are those that will believe, even though they have not seen what he wasn't going to believe till he could see the the nail prints. Unless I can stick my finger in the the, the holes, I'm not going to believe. I know your guys made this all up. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Okay, so what do you want me to do? You ever been asked something by your wife or something and you don't want to do it? Okay, so the guests are coming over and we don't have no milk? Okay, you know what that implies you're supposed to do? Yes, unless you can do like Jesus... Go fill up the What you need to do is tell her to go fill up the water pots. We're gonna pray. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's go fill up the water pots. We're gonna pray here. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? What I'm showing you is commitment. The commitment was based upon belief alone at this point. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Do you understand that your faith can move Jesus? Can you tell me of two other people who moved Jesus by their faith when he wasn't inclined to do anything? The Syrophoenician woman, she was not Jewish. She said, only to the household of Israel was I sent. And yet, she got her miracle. Why? She believed. She persisted. She kept on persisting, and, and she got her... You know what moves God is not tears. I've said that before. It's not even need. It's faith. They were so committed. Mary was so committed, she says to the servants. She ignored him, actually. She turned to the servants and put him on a spot. Because she said, whatever he says, do it. And then she, I, I can imagine she walked away. And I can imagine the servants then looked at him like, okay... She put him on the spot by her faith. Let's put Jesus on the spot by our faith. Because faith can move mountains and it does move God. His mother says unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And of course you know the miracle. And of course the scripture says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. And manifested forth his glory. And his disciples, and this is key believed on him, but they had belief in him. They were following him before he did one thing. They were following him based just upon his words. Now, is that surprising or shocking? No, because the Bible tells us how faith comes. How does faith come? By hearing. It doesn't come by you seeing, because that's not faith. It comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, And when you hear and you believe, you heard someone testify how God did some miracle for them and you try it. You, you, you stretch out on faith and God does it for you. So faith comes by hearing. So it's not, shouldn't be a surprise. The commitment then is really based upon faith. It's how much do you believe is a measure of how much you will be committed. Because the more you, if you believe that doing work for God is going to be a blessing to you, then you're going to be happy to do work for God, right? Now let's look at some more examples of the, of commitment and it, that it was commitment that was key, that it was belief that was key in commitment. John one thirty five and the next, again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked he said, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. That was all it took. They heard him speak and then what did they do? Understand. Matthew and the, and the other fishermen, all they heard was Jesus speak, and they followed him. And they followed Jesus. Another one, John one forty. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he was so committed that it wasn't good enough that he was following. He went and found someone else. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah. Based upon what? On words. Just upon words. That takes faith, right? Now it's easy to believe when you see someone heal. And many people did believe because of the miracles. But they were following him for the miracles. They followed him because he, they saw him make free bread. Free food. And they said, okay, well, we're gonna we're going to get some more of this stuff. But that wasn't why his first disciples they believe just out of the words he first findeth his own brother simon and saith unto him we have found the Messiah, which being interpreted the christ so the level of our commitment then is going to be based upon how much we believe if we believe a lot we're going to be committed a lot right you you'll 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 stretch out more in faith you'll you'll be ready to risk more because you believe it's going to work out in the end right When your level of commitment is small, it's because really your level of faith is small. So Jesus wanted to test his disciples, and really it's a test for us. He asked, who do men say I am? Who do you believe? Because if you believe he is the Christ, you're going to act a certain way. If you believe he is just a prophet, you're going to act a different way. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, in other words Elijah, and others Jeremiah or Jeremias, or one of the prophets. And it's important in who you believe Jesus is. If you believe that he's just A created being, you're going to relate to him in one. If you, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that he is a subordinate being to God. So you're not going to treat him the same. But if you believe that he is very God himself, you're going to believe, uh, base your commitment is going to be different. So he, he got, they all said what other people said, but he really wanted to know what they believed, what they thought. So he said unto them, but whom do you say that I am? And the question is us today, do we say he's a healer? Can we say he's a deliverer? I can tell you, he's certainly a financial provider. I have no doubt about that. He's always miraculously provided over and over again. And, and maybe I've not been healed of a, you know, incurable cancer, but the flip side of that, neither have I gotten sick much. I didn't need to be healed because I was walking in the blessing. Right? Many of you sailed through COVID, never got COVID. Right? And even if you did, it didn't really do much. It was just like a little cold. So sometimes we're looking for the big miracles, but all we have to believe is because of the word. Because of the word. We may not necessarily... It's great if we do experience that or if we pray for someone and they and there is a need and they recover. But I'm just giving you the examples that these people were committed to following him even when they had seen nothing. They had not experienced anything but the power of his words. As he said, the words that I speak are spirit in John 6.63 and they are what? Life. In fact, he was testing them all the time. Remember at the beginning of his ministry, he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part. And at that time he had 72 disciples and they all scratched their head and go, hmm, this is a bit much. (laughs) How can this be? And he didn't explain it to them. Sometimes, as I've said, God will give you a hard saying, a hard circumstance, and there will be no explanation. Because this is a test. You want answers or do you believe? because of who he is you trust him and 60 of them left 60 of them said this is too much can't understand this it makes no sense he wants us to be cannibal drink his blood Mm, that's too much but 12 of them stayed but you know he still didn't explain it to them right in fact he made it he made it hard he he said to Peter you guys want to leave too what was Peter's answer where will we go because only you have what the words the words of life they were not following him for the miracles that was just an added blessing they were following him for the words of life that's what john 663 says that the words that i speak unto you they are what spirit and they are life amen whom do we say he is thou art the christ the anointed the son of the living God, okay, so let's 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 confess maybe we don't have that kind of commitment. If someone came by your workplace and said, "Follow me, you probably look them like this, like <laughs> you probably laugh and say, like, "Who are you? Are you crazy? who's going to pay my bills? So maybe our faith is not up there. So the next question comes: how do we grow our faith? How do we get that level of commitment where we can step out? And not be afraid. How do, we, how do we get there? Let's look at some examples in scripture. Mark four thirty seven. And you all know this. Twice there were storms that Jesus was involved with. And there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship. So that it was now full. I can, I can, I can kind of empathize with them. I'm not going to criticize them. These were fishermen, so they were used to storms. So they must have thought this one was pretty bad. Because the water was not staying out in the lake. The water was actually in the boat with them. So I'm going to cut them some slack. Because all of us are flesh, right? And it says it was now full. Sometimes it seems that our boat is full of water that shouldn't be in there. And it looks like it's in danger of sinking. And yet, Jesus somehow was asleep. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillar a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Master, carest not thou we perish? And I know all of us have had that prayer with God. God, can't you see what's happening? All right, none of you had that kind of prayer. None of you have had that desperate prayer where you said, Lord, you gotta you gotta you gotta do something now. I've had that prayer. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now, remember, these people did have faith because they started following him before they saw a miracle. They started following him before, so they did have faith. But here their faith is going to grow, is what's going to happen. And I'm going to show you how their faith grew because, remember, now they had just seen him... Feed thousands of people with a couple of loaves and some fishes. So they knew that there was a miracle power, but they, what they didn't know, how great that power was. Because when he did this, this was a next level miracle. Okay, so he can multiply food. Okay, he can give you financial blessings, but can he do this level of miracle? And he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. In fact, they were shocked. Yes, we've seen him heal blind eyes. Yes, we've seen him make food. But we've never seen wind and waves and a storm obey him. It's at this point that their faith took another level. I tell you, when God did some of the financial miracles for me, my faith actually took another level. Now when I get get big huge things a few years ago i got something for like 12 what's 12,000 dollars that's that's one tenth what, what god did for me before so i didn't even i didn't even sweat it i got a bill from the state for 12,000 okay eh nothing now if god hadn't hadn't done a storm thing for me and i got a 12,000 i'd be i'd be like what are we going to do <laughs> I would have been quaking and shaking. What are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? How are we going to get... You see, your faith can grow. Your commitment can grow. So now when I get things like that, it doesn't even bother me because God has done 10 times that. He's made 10 times that amount of stuff disappear. And so it's made my commitment when at least in finances grow. I'm not afraid financially now. My com- My commitment is... I take risks, I shouldn't shouldn't tell you. (laughs) But that's where my faith is now. But they hadn't realized, they think he could just do blind eyes. But now they realized he was on a a really completely, they said, what kind of man is this? That even the wind, we, we understood the miracles he did because that was in the Old Testament. They'd heard about miracles that Elijah had done. But there were some miracles that Jesus did that no one had ever done. The closest it came to was Elijah had stopped the rain and Moses had made the Nile, um, you know, part. But they'd never seen a complete storm like this stop and start and go completely still overnight. What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So our commitment will grow as our faith grows. So how can we make that happen? How can we grow our faith and our commitment? Of course, this is the scripture. Romans ten seventeen. So then, faith come, cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's like what I said in Sunday school: the more word you get, the stronger you're going to be. The more you're listening to stuff that is feeding your soul, the more your mind now is in the spirit world rather than the carnal world. And so, when stuff comes, you're in a completely different attitude. You're in a you're in a completely different attitude. The same. Uh, words or the same person trying to take away your peace you will react completely different because you've got some word in you you'll still be smiling after they just said some things that before would have you know got you upset and you're still able to smile And because you're not in that Jesus said Satan is coming but he hath nothing in me there's nothing for him to grab hold of He, he, as far as Satan was, Jesus was like transparent. He couldn't couldn't grab anything to pull him. The more we're in this world, the more we're solidly in this world, the more he can grab hold of. But he said, you should be kind of in this world, but not of the world. That way Satan can't actually grab hold of you. So then faith, and really commitment, which comes from faith, cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So how do we reinforce our faith? Well, one way is praying, right? One way is Bible reading. Of course, worship. Just get into an atmosphere of worship and start thanking God for the past miracles he had done. One way is witness. Do you know you can feel good after you witnessed? Even Jesus experienced that in the flesh. Remember, he was hungry and tired and sitting on a well and the, and the disciples had gone to get food. When he came back, he was refreshed and and didn't want anything to eat. He says, I've had some food you don't even know about. When you feed someone else a spiritual word, guess what? God will feed you a spiritual word. It's it's amazing after you've witnessed to someone. Anyone experience that, how you feel after you've witnessed to someone? There's a certain happiness, actually, a joy. Reinforces your faith. And then, of course, service. Just helping people reinforces your faith um i put this statement if you want to leave footprints in the sand don't drag your feet (laughs) you got to pick them up and be sprightly about it if you're dragging your feet you won't see any clear footprints right if you want to, to leave footprints for someone to follow the statement said, don't drag your feet so now how do we put commitment into practice Let's look at this story that Jesus told in Matthew 21, 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. Not going. It's too hot out there. But afterwards he repented and went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I'm going to go, sir. But in the end... Did nothing, went not. Jesus is saying, which of these twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, the first. Jesus saith unto him, them, verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. He was making the point that all these Pharisees and Sadducees were proclaiming, I'm a, I'm a child of, the, of God, I do everything he wants. But really they weren't doing it. They were doing something outwardly, but not inwardly. And Jesus was telling them, listen... The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Because it's not what we say, it's what we do. The Bible speaks about your conversation. And your conversation really, it's not so much what you speak, but it means your whole lifestyle. Having your conversation. Now, it's not free. If you're going to be committed, its I admit it's not free. It's not like a cakewalk. That doesn't mean... Just because you're living for Christ that you're going to have no problems, the moment you make that commitment, everything's going to be rosy, right? In fact, it seems the more you, 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 you make a commitment for Christ, that's when Satan attacks double time. <laughs> I had more trouble in the last two weeks from various sources than I had probably for the previous... And I know why, because we were having an anniversary celebration... Of what God was doing, so I had more phone calls, more stuff, more things I had to deal with than I than I had in the in the month or six weeks before. Then I I knew why, and I almost expected it because that's what happens when you celebrate and give God glory for what He has done. So there is a cost to being; it's a sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. It's not free, and um, I'm glad Sister Audrey's here because she was the one who told me this. Sometimes I forget. Maybe many years ago, when we were doing things or had to go somewhere, she said she would look at my face and she would say, "You don't want to pay the toll, do you?" <laughs> so this is just for you, Sister Audrey. You have to stop and you have to pay the toll. <laughs> She'd say, you don't want to pay the toll, pastor. I said, yep, you're right. I don't feel like doing this. I don't want to deal with this. Matthew 17. But here's, here's something I want to point out to you. Yes, there is a cost, but there's also a future blessing. Matthew 17, 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money, it means taxes, came to Peter and said, doth not your master pay tribute? And... He was ready to defend Jesus. He didn't ask Jesus. He said, Of course he does. Yes, of course he does. Then he thought about it. <laughs> oh, where, how are we going to pay that? And when he was come to the house, before he even spoke, Jesus already saw the scene and knew what was going to happen. Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? In other words, who do they tax? Strangers or their own children. What Jesus was saying: the fact that you're under persecution is because you're on enemy territory. You got to expect it. They're going to. Satan wants to tax you, wear out the patience of the saints. In other words, he was saying it validates that this is not your country. Because I'll tell you what: the King of England does not pay taxes. When he gave up the absolute right of rule, they 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 had an act of Parliament where. He was free of taxes. And that's why when you go to England and you look on the money, you know whose picture is on there? Well, now they have to print a new set. (laughs) But eventually, King Charles' picture, because it's his money. He doesn't pay any taxes. See, we pay taxes. We're going to get pressure. We're going to get attacked. Because this is not our country. My citizenship, your citizenship, should be in heaven. So Jesus was already saw this scene. Peter had already spoken on his behalf, even before he... Of course he does, of course he does. And so Jesus was just telling him a thing. Now, the next part of this scene is Jesus says, Okay, go and take your your fishing rod and go cast it. And Jesus made a fish, find a coin, and come up. See, God can take care of his own. But there is a cost to commitment. It's not free. You're going to have to sacrifice either your time, your uh, your your peace sometimes... Some of you know that, uh, of course, Sunday, this guy walked in here barking like a dog. <laughs> and, of course, he would do that when we have guests, right? <laughs> and I, I got up immediately. But by the time I got up, he'd gone downstairs. So I got up said, okay, sir, you're either going to be quiet or we're going outside. And I escorted him outside and I said, okay, we'll get you some food, but you're not going to be barking or making noise. He dropped on the floor and started barking again. So we just, we just took a time out there and started to pray and rebuke him. See what the devil will do? He wants to come and, and, and take away your peace. And, and, and put all kinds of stuff on you to take away your joy amen but i noticed brother brother um joe that you brought him in he i I told him he could come in but he'd have to stop that and i caught him on the film standing up and clapping so amen maybe the lord is going to touch that that gentleman so we see that there is a cost to commitment it's not free jesus said anyone who's going to build something they first what Count up the cost. When you say, "Lord, I want to heal people. I want to. I want to be a great uh, save, saver of souls. I want. To, I want you to use me, Lord." You know what you're saying? Jesus is going to ask you: Are you willing to pay the cost? Are you willing to sacrifice your time? Are you willing to have people come against you, misjudge you, say things about you? Are you willing for that? And it, it may even be people in the church. Right? There is a cost to commitment. There is a cost to commit. There's a cost to trying to win people. There's a cost to restoring people. As pastor, people will say, well, at least let me put it this way. When I wasn't pastor and I was watching my pastor, I'd say, why isn't he not doing something? He's not doing anything. Everybody can see what's going on and he's not doing anything. I didn't know what he was doing but I was judging now I'm pastor I understand (laughs) let's see what the cost is the first cost is you're going to be hated Jesus said so you're going to be hated Genesis 27 41 and Esau hated Jacob why because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him people will hate you if they start seeing you blessed why is he driving that car Why does he look like he's got no problems? Of course, they don't know. (laughs) Genesis 3. Take one person in the Bible that was used of God that wasn't persecuted. Name one. Even Isaac, who did nothing. Every time he went to do a well, they came to take it away from him. Daniel did nothing. Want to throw him in the lion's den? Why? For praying. of one person who God chose or used who didn't have to pay something for their commitment, not one, not one yet we think we're special (laughs) I'm I'm chosen (laughs) I've got the anointing (laughs) that makes me impervious to the devil's, no it doesn't it's, it's making him focus on you even more because if I can get that person, boy, a lot of other people are going to go because they, they're looking at that person. Joseph, right? Because he was chosen, dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him the more. Sometimes you can't tell people when you're blessed. They're not going to rejoice with you necessarily. Luke twenty-one seventeen, And he shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. If you truly be a Christian... And you're at work and you tell someone, listen, you know what? I really can't stand all of that filth and foul you're putting up. They're going to look at you like something's wrong. Like, oh, you think you're special. Or why don't you want to come... See, my, I'm, I'm streaming, so... But my company puts on a, a ball game. every, And there's nothing wrong with that, but just the atmosphere. I avoid it every... I've not been to one Christmas party that they've done. In four years. I'm sure they think I'm strange. John 15, 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Commitment is going to cause you to be different, stand out, and the world is not going to be your friend. When we think of the great apostle Paul, right? And all the things he achieved, wrote epistles, started churches, all the things he did... Are you ready for all the things he suffered? Because the first thing was prophesied to Paul was the great things you're going to suffer. Oh yes, Lord. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> the great things there is a cost if you want all of this power because Satan is certainly going to come your way. Just let's just read this. This is what Paul said. Five times the Jews gave me 39 lashes. That five times he was lashed. Off. Paul's back must have been so scarred up. You want to be able to have someone fall when you're preaching and go and heal them and they jump back up. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. You know, if we went through all of that, we would. The devil would be saying, "See, God doesn't love you," and we would believe it. We would. Our commitment would start to to falter. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole... You mean the great Apostle Paul who God used so much, these things can happen to him? Yes, it can. So that means it can happen to us. doesn't mean we're not used of God or God hasn't called us. It just means we're on enemy territory. And we are trying to be committed. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled many weary miles. I have faced danger... From flooded rivers. I put it in a modern translation so you could all get what Paul has been through. We want those miracles, but are we willing to be that committed? Where we, where he could say, I've given up all for you, Lord. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the stormy seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be Christians, but are not. I have lived with weariness and pain and sleepless nights. Often I have been hungry. You mean Paul, God couldn't have just given you a loaf, turned the stone into bread? No, sometimes God is going to allow stuff into our lives because there's a cost to commitment. Often I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without, gone without food. Often I have shivered with cold. Remember him sending the message, Please send for my coat. Cold often I shivered with cold without enough clothing to keep me warm then besides all of this I have the daily burden of how the of how the churches are going on that was just the stuff but his real mission was the churches but this is what he had to go through y'all gone silent at me I'm trying to let you see that if you're going to be committed you're going to have a little target on your back now the question is is it worth it? Is it worth it to go through all of that? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for the joy, let's say joy. Joy. See, sometimes it doesn't feel like joy. Sunday afternoon it didn't feel like joy having to deal with that guy. But I I knew I had to deal with him. And for the joy therefore goeth and selleth all that he hath, and by that that's commitment. He found something so much greater that nothing else measured up. That was commitment. Is it worth it? Again, the kingdom Jesus was trying to show the value of the kingdom of heaven by telling parables. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchantman seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl that was so much more brilliant and better and perfect of great price went and sold all that he had we're talking about commitment and brought it the early church had all these miracles and stuff you know why? let's be honest they were more committed than us let's just be honest when you want those miracles in God to do you know stop the rain and stop the storm and open the window you you need to understand what it takes and the question is is it worth it? Are we going to be that committed? I'm going to say, "Oh my. <laughs> Even so, Lord Jesus, help me. Here's Jesus' answer for, "Is it worth it? For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and then lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Anything you can actually see is temporary. The moment you buy a brand new car and drive it 50 feet off the lot, you've lost about $3,000. You try that minute and go back and sell it to them. I don't know. I think we have to take it for a road test. (laughs) Mm, I don't know. Now, for some people, the cost is very great. Not everybody is going to pay the same cost. For some people... Not everybody's called to be a Paul, right? To to be to really lose everything, leave your family. Um, my mother's family completely cut her off. She grew up in a family that was fairly well known and had famous people in it, and were for that day and age was fairly fairly well to do. She was sent to, to schools. She could speak Latin. I don't know if you knew that. She could speak Latin. I can't speak Latin. <laughs> But once she, you know, went to what they thought was a cult, they completely cut her off. Would have nothing to do with her. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For some people, the cost of commitment is too much. There was a certain young ruler, right? And he goes to Jesus and he said, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he was able to say, all of these have I kept from my youth up. But Jesus knew something about this young man. And this is a really sad, sad story. Because in another reading of this, it says Jesus loved him. But when Jesus heard these things, he said, yet lackest thou one thing. Lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now Jesus is not against rich people. No. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich person. He was able to go to Pilate and get the body because he had his own tomb, which was hand dug. To have a hand carved tomb was the height of wealth because it wasn't like they had hand tools. That would take months. Maybe even a year to dig out a hand-carved tomb in a rock. So Jesus is not against rich people. What Jesus is against is a lack of commitment. He told the Laodicean in church, "You're not even hot or warm because you're not hot or warm." You know what I'm going to do? I got to spit you out. But he knew something about this young man that although he had done the, all these things, there was still something that he put above God, and that was his wealth. Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come. And he said the same thing to him as he said to the others who also sacrificed. They had a fishing business. Can you imagine how their fishing business is when both brothers left and it was only the father left to run it? I bet he could not have been too happy. This this man had some wealth, but yet he wasn't willing to give it up. What he asked for Meaning he didn't really see the value. He comes and he says to Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? You know what this really means? He did not believe. He was just asking for the sake of asking. Because if he had really believed that all he had to do was give away his wealth to get eternal, everlasting, non-ending life, who would not do that? If you believe. Now, if you don't believe, you're not going to do it. See, there is a cost to commitment. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned unto them, saying, If any man come to me, and this is in an extreme... He was trying to see what they... And hate not his father and his mother and his wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my, my disciple. Now, the King James puts it in a way that is not quite what Jesus was saying. He was saying if you if you're going to put them first if you if if you have to choose between your family and me he was saying you have to choose me if my wife backslides and she says you got to leave church i'm sorry i love her next to everything except god i would have to choose god that's what he's saying you cannot put anything so there is a cost to commitment there's a cost to serving god whoever is going to take you out of church Jesus is saying, you have to love me more. That's what he means. If, if you don't put me above your father, your mother, your wife and children, brethren and sisters, yea, even your own life. Now that's a, that's a high cost of commitment. But in the end we see that's what every single apostle and disciple was willing to do. It's a hard saying, right? I'm rushing, we're going to finish. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. We're all going to have to have a cross. As much as we hate it, as much as we get up in the morning and don't want to deal with certain things, we're going to have a cross. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether we have sufficient to finish it. So we have to count the cost. In Matthew 6.25, as I said, he Started off with this, and then in verse 27 he says, And you cannot be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross. And then verse 28, but don't begin until you count the cross. When I'm baptizing people, I always ask them, you understand what you're doing? you understand that you're saying you're going to commit your life to Christ? I'm trying to get them to understand that this is a commitment, not not just, a, I'll go down in the water, you'll say some magic words and that will make my life... Perfect. A lot of people view that baptism that way and they use it as a rabbit's foot or a lucky charm. All I have to do is come to church one week, ask the pastor to baptize me, I get up and then miraculously everything will be different. And when it's not, they disappear. For who would begin construction of a building without first getting estimates and checking to see if there's enough money to pay the bills? So Paul says that this is a race, and we have to run like we aim to finish. Don't halfway run, because why bother? Run like you intend to be the number one. Running that you may obtain. First Corinthians 9.24, Knowing not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run like you mean to win it, that he may obtain. He was talking about the times we're in now where there's so much pressure that if you let people elbow you, you won't finish your race. In his letter to Timothy, he says this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions as much as we don't want to. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Now here's Paul at the end of his life and and showing you that he had accepted the fact that he was now going to give up his life. He had done what he had set out to do, that he was going to eventually come before the emperor, the very leader of the whole known world then, and he was going to be able to preach Christ. That was his whole goal. i got to get to Rome. When I get to Rome, I'm going to testify, no matter what the cost and he knew the cost in the end would be his own life. Verse 6, For I am now ready. Now this is commitment. Which of us is willing to say this? I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What a testimony. What a testimony. If you can... At the end, be able to say, i fought a good fight. That's what I want to be able to say before God. God, I did the best that I could. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That's commitment. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And here's the best part. Not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing, do you love his appearing so i 've told you all the bad stuff i 've told you all the stuff that you 're going to have to do all the, but there here 's some reports <laughs> there 's got to be some blessing in this there 's got to be something good at the end. Amen. He he talked about, you you got to do that, but he says, For everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake. Every time I go to Benton Harbor, my wife makes me drive (laughs) drive around the house that we we left to see what they've done with it. It was a beautiful house. We we had it built and had it done just the way we wanted. Marble floors in the bathroom, spa, everything was just... Perfect. So I don't, I don't think I've left mother or sister, but I, I can say I left houses. And every time we go to Michigan, she says, let's go down there, let's see, see the house. I said, but why? It's not our house anymore. And we got, got to go and drive around it. They put up a fence. I've heard that they've put a pool in there now. So. But here's what, it doesn't matter because look what the Bible says, shall receive and hundredfold and shall inherit eternal life see there's some rewards for commitment to him that overcometh if you could stand with me will I grant to sit is there any higher place you can sit than with Jesus in his throne is there any higher place? When I took Brother Putnam out, he was telling me, you know, a, few, a couple of weeks ago that the president and uh, the vice president visited here. And his son, um, who's also a pastor, is a chaplain to the secret service. So he was brought in here uh, to Milwaukee to meet the president and the uh, vice president because he's a chaplain to their secret service. But I'm telling you, we get to go to a place of such much greater honor. I will grant to sit with me in my throne. I tell you, whatever you're going through, whatever you have done is not going to compare if you will be committed, if you will stay true. He says, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne and hath made us, past tense, kings and priests unto God and to his father. To him... Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's give God a praise offering. Hallelujah. I hope you're encouraged. Because all we need to do, even if we're not committed, is we just can start where we are. Amen. We need to be committed. We have to get to that point that, Lord, whatever you want of me, whatever you ask of me, is not too much. Is not too much. I'm going to try and put you first in my life. When we do that, all of these rewards, Paul was able to say, I'm ready to be offered up. He knew there was a day when the command would come from Nero, cut off his head. He could have easily just said, you know, I'm going to worship you, Nero, and that would have been it. He could have walked out of there. But he was so committed that he went through all those things, and yet that was the great apostle Paul. That gives me hope that when I'm going through my little pity party, it don't compare. It does not. Nobody has whipped me five times. Nobody has beaten me with rods. I've not been in a shipwreck. Snake has not bitten me. I might have given up a house. But that's it. <laughs> it's nothing. God's given me a better house. Amen. He's given me a bigger family. Amen. He's given me people to love and people who love me. Amen. Listen, the rewards of heaven are, are going to be worth it. We're going to close this Bible study tonight, and I want you to know that if we will be committed, God has got such things that it can't even be put into words. It says, I have not seen nor ear heard what the Lord has got uh, in store for those who love him. It's only been revealed through the Spirit. It's by faith we see those things. A few of you, I think Sister Audrey told me once, she had a dream of heaven. My father would tell about his dream of heaven, and he didn't want to come back. He was so upset when he found out it was only a dream (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was, he was so upset when he realized that it was just a dream he didn't want to come back i pray that god gives us that vision of heaven that the things of this earth will become so pale and dim as the song says in the light of his glorious grace amen let's bow our hearts father we thank you for your word tonight let it find good soil let it encourage us let us uh, make the commitment lord god to you to be even more, O God, in your service, to align with your word, that you can use us, that you can use us in your kingdom. Lord, I pray your blessings upon us. Let your words, O God, be manifest in our lives. Hallelujah. Lord, protect us as we walk in this world. Let your Holy Spirit, Lord, uplift us. Hallelujah. Give us a joy. Hallelujah. That we can draw from the wells of salvation. We thank you tonight for your goodness and your grace. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name.